Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. I'm once again joined by our guest co-host, Robin Geisen, as Tim Thompson continues his worldly travels. This week, Robin and I discuss our initial reactions to Top Gun Maverick, as well as its prospects for the upcoming week against Jurassic World Dominion. And then we also discuss the changes forthcoming over at Warner Brothers and what that means for the industry at large. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Hollywood Breaks. We would be remiss if we didn't at least talk a little bit about Top Gun Maverick. I have to say, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion until after you go, because I would like you to go first, ladies first. You're our guest, you're our guest host today. So please, what are your thoughts on Top Gun Maverick? Well, I have to preface this by saying Top Gun's one of my, the original Top Gun is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like it's one of those movies that every time it's on, I watch it. Even if I watched it last night, I watch it again today. If it's on again, I just watch it. It's like, it's just, I leave it on if I stumble across it. Unless it's the part where Goose dies, then I kind of go somewhere else. And then I come back because I just don't want to see that part. It mm-hmm. makes me sad. Um, but um, so, you know, my expectations were, um, you know, like I will say that I was very nervous about coming into this and hesitant because I love the original so much. But um, I think that they, I, I, I think they sought out to do the impossible by agreeing to do this movie. But damn it, they did it. Like <laughs> I, I had a smile on my face from start to finish. I was. Like I was nervous because I was like, what's the music they're going to use? And as soon as, first of all, I, I, I'm going to rewind. I'm a, I'm a jumbling mess right now because I'm so excited by it. <laughs> Tom Cruise, to put that little um, clip of him talking and introducing the movie beforehand, I thought was genius, by the way. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, I didn't get that. Oh, you didn't? Nice. Oh, no. I, um, it was a little, just a 30-second like, setup of him just sitting in a studio saying, you know, it's taken so long for us to bring this to you, but we're so excited to finally be able to, to give it to you. Yeah. Um, and then to play the music again and not, you know, to, to actually just bring us back was the most genius thing you could do. I think um, it was tremendous. It was why it's why we go to the movies. That yeah. was it, it's exactly why we go to the movies um, mm-hmm. and uh, everything about it just made me so happy. I think Tony Scott uh, would be looking down on us right now saying, well done, you know, kudos to Kaczynski (laughs) for, I mean, that's not, that is no easy task, right? But between Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise and Kaczynski, like they really found, I think the perfect tone and, um, you know, Miles Teller was brilliant casting as Goose, uh, like our Goose's son. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I felt like I was looking at Anthony Edwards. It was so great. Um, It just, and I will say like, I looked around when I got in the movie theater, this is the other thing. The tickets were sold out at my theater. And so I had tears in my eyes because of that. But also because when the music came down and started playing, I was like, Oh my God, I got chills of this, you know, where they have all the aircraft on the aircraft carrier and you see the jets landing. It's like, yep. oh my God, like I could literally, I had chills and I turned around and looked at the theater and behind me, people were just like transfixed. Everyone had a smile on their face. I literally cried. I cried because I was just so moved. <laughs> by. No, I'm not. Oh, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, you know, it was my favorite movie of all time. 
I cried out of happiness. I cried later during the movie. I don't want to do any spoilers, but I cried later too in the movie. But um, I cried also just because it was the first time that I have been in a theater um, in over three years where it was, it felt like we became the collective we again. It was awesome. It was awesome. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, I would. Well, you stole a lot of my thunder, but that's okay. You're allowed. I'll give you my perspective from sort of, a, you know, out of the, uh, the bubble of LA per, uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, I went on a two, when did I go? I think I went on Tuesday of last week. I think that that's when I went. Yeah. Um, I went at a 12, 11, like 1130 IMAX showing. But normally when I go to these, like when I went to see Spider-Man, granted, this was weeks, almost months after it had been released. And I was slightly embarrassed to be, embarrassed to be seeing it so late after everybody else. But, and I was like one of the only people in the theater. It was me and like one other person. But I went at 1130 at an IMAX and there were probably close to 30 or 40 people, which on a Tuesday in not summertime, like it, I was kind of surprised there were actually people there. Um, but I had a very similar reaction to you when it started and the music was very similar to the original. I was like, are they really going to do this? And I started thinking to myself, they actually go to danger zone. I I'm just going to be uh, giddy as all get out. So obviously that's what they did. And it was almost an, you know, almost a, exact replication of the original opening which is obviously iconic yeah and from that moment i was smiling i don't think i stopped smiling the rest of the way because it was an absolutely phenomenal movie um from start to finish i could quibble on little bits here and there but um i won't i'm not going to do that um but it was really a just you i think you're right they threaded the needle as far as taking a movie that has pretty much was defined a generation really in the eighties and kind of went dormant for 30 years. And then it comes back and a completely different generation and yet still does sort of the business that it did that opening weekend. I mean, yeah, it was great. I, I loved it. I walked out of the theater and smiling and it's probably the best time I've had at the movies in good five, six, seven, maybe eight years yeah. or so. Yeah. And I will say that, it's the first time since I've moved out of LA that I actually, people applauded yeah. during the movie. Yeah. And that has not happened here in Philadelphia. I know it happens a lot in LA, um, but especially because most of the people worked on the movie <laughs> or know somebody who worked on the movie. So it's always like one of those things, but um, out here that rarely ever happens. And, um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was a stellar job. I mean, I my expectations were a little higher because I'd had it on good authority that it was a really good movie. Um, and so my expectations were pretty high mm. when I went to see it. And I went to see it in IMAX, which, by the way, I would highly recommend you do because they shot a lot of it in IMAX. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's when those jets go overhead, I mean, man, the seat's rocking. I mean, it was great. I mean, it was really... Cause I don't like paying to go see something in IMAX unless they shot it in IMAX. And I, I can thank Christopher Nolan for that because I watched the first six minutes of dark Knight in IMAX and that was jaw droppingly amazing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, if they shot it in IMAX, I will go see it. 
in IMAX. But unless if there's some kind of lame conversion, then I'm not I'm not into it. But they actually shot a lot some of the sequences in it, and it 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 definitely shows. And yeah, I, I agree. I think. I mean, I, m- I mentioned this a little bit in my my um, my newsletter this week, and I'll be interested to see if you agree or disagree with me. Um, yes, it's exciting, and I, I think you're right. There's a sense that this is sort of like the moving on point from COVID, and um, the demos were obviously skewed older. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. I don't think it got any really. Uh, I mean, just from the numbers I saw, it didn't seem like it got a lot of number. A lot of people under the age of 25. Um, <clears throat> but do you think this ultimately, because what we've been talking about, you, I, and Tim, throughout the course of the last two plus years, is um, yes, it's great that people are going to the movies again for certain movies. But does this solve the ultimate problem, the giant iceberg that is coming towards us, that there's been nothing done to improve the experience, really? Mm. And I argued a lot that, you know, yes, people came back to the theaters, but at the same time, did it also remind them why the theaters can be such a pain in the butt? Because they're not, I mean, listen, we, you and I live in metro areas. So we get, particularly you being in LA, you get top of the line experiences. I can go to an IMAX theater that's 10 minutes. You can go one that's probably one every other block where you are. (laughs) So we can get the top of the line experience. Right. The rest of a country doesn't have that. They get small theaters that are sort of falling down, overrun, not well managed. And I wonder if there's still ignore because the celebratory sort of like blockbusters are back. And, you know, when we get Tim back from his um, European jaunt, we'll uh, we'll definitely challenge him on that because his big thing is that the blockbuster is officially dead. So you know, and everyone's sort of talking all about how movies are back, the blockbuster's back. Are we, I, I feel like, to be quite honest, that we're, we're, we're sitting in CinemaCon, sucking down the Kool-Aid that everyone seems to scream and shout that we're all fine, everything's fine. Day and day doesn't work. Movies are back, baby. Woohoo! It's like, you know, I, at a certain point, we can celebrate the wins, but the overall issues that have been confronting the industry over the course of the last two years are still there, are they not? They're absolutely still there. Look, I think, you know, this is a blockbuster. I would tell Tim that this, the blockbuster is back. Duly noted, duly noted. The blockbuster is back when it delivers, right? And here's the thing that like, this is, my husband, this movie made my husband, you're going to laugh at this and I wish I had a picture to show you. Um, he went to the movie in one of his old flight suits. He was in the Navy. Oh, I saw, I saw it on Instagram. Yeah, I yeah. saw your picture. I, I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> in his forties, showed up. The buttoned up. In his buttoned up uh, real estate guy. With aviators on in the dark. And people were like, and by the way, he wasn't the only one dressed up either. And there were random people and people were applauding and clapping and loving it. Like this movie penetrated pop culture, right? That is, that is the definition of a blockbuster to me when it becomes something bigger than itself. Right. And it Top Gun obviously is. And when the movie delivers, like it has, like there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Right now. I think, you know, Hollywood 
has gotten caught up with this and it's hard, you know, that it's, I, I imagine when you're doing so many pieces of content, like, you know, before way back in the eighties, they weren't delivering this many movies across the board from distribution in general, not just theatrically, but now we're dealing with streaming and I mean, we're just being inundated with content. Right. So right. the thing that this movie did that we're not really talking about either, like people wonder what the secret sauce is and um, there's no secret sauce. Otherwise every single movie would work. Right. But mm -hmm. I think Hollywood um, needs to see, take a step back and learn that this is the feeling, the feeling that we want when we go to the movies. This is the feeling that we want to feel when we leave the movies. We want to be entertained. We don't want to be preached to. Um, I think Hollywood has gotten caught up in trying to get us to relate to the characters versus just actually mm. relating, right? Like, yeah, we actually relate to, which is weird. I'm not, a, you know, I don't fly jets, but I can, I can relate to the feelings that every single one of those characters were feeling because it just was human. It was a human experience. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your entertainment, and um, that's what that's why we go to the movies. That's why I go to the movies. That's why I fell in love with the movies. Like it's all about it's storytelling to get you to be able to relate to this character instead of. Yeah. trying to force it down our throat in some way or another. And obviously right. I, I'm not saying that those stories shouldn't be told, but this is where we're at now. So we need to, <laughs> what is the right distribution outlet for those stories? Not every story, not every movie should get a huge theatrical release like Top Gun, right? Like, right. Yeah. like that's how we need to set them up for success. Like when you talk about Kevin Getz and I completely agree with every single thing that he has said, right? It's about right. budget, setting it up. We have to set, we have to take each individual property and set it up for success um, so that we can actually deliver on it. And, and it, right. in fact, what does that mean? Does it get a theatrical release? Do we do streaming? How much do we spend? We're not saying don't make the movie. We're saying, how do we make this movie and still be successful, right? And right. what we need yeah. to talk about. I think that's the conversation that needs to be had in order to, to be able to do that. Now, I don't think that this, um, not every movie is going to come out and be massively successful just because Top Gun was. It doesn't mean that movies are back. Um, it right. means that this movie brought people out and that's it. I mean, you know, Jurassic World is going to be really interesting to see where this comes in because that has other challenges. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking about um, Top Gun's holdover this weekend, which was, Phenomenal. Insane. I think it, it was the best, the best holdover ever for a hundred a movie that made over hundred million that, in its opening weekend. For a movie that makes over hundred, it dropped million. like thirty two percent. And then it's interesting. I read an article where they showed like uh, Mouth of Madness, Doctor Strange dropped like sixty seven percent. Even Spider Man dropped a 60, 60 to sixty five percent. You know, they just make so much money yeah, that first normal. weekend, yeah. which is normal. But the fact that Top Gun only dropped 33% is just, and it, yeah, I, I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think it's just going to keep going and going and going and going and going. Well, that's going. distribution. So I think everybody's talking about it. Yeah, that's a distribution play. It'll take a chunk out of Jurassic's opening weekend, yeah. I think. But don't forget that, that uh, Jurassic 
is actually going to take all the IMAX screens, right? So yeah. it will have yeah. a drop. It will have a bigger drop this weekend because it won't have the premium formats that it, it yeah. has held for the past two. It weeks. has relied on right. So it will have a bigger drop, but yeah, I, it's interesting to me what you just brought up about um, sort of the idea of it was such a human experience and people just want to be entertained and not just. I mean, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast about you know sort of woke Hollywood and the lecturing and all this kind of stuff that just doesn't really appeal to a lot broad mass audience. Yeah. Um, but I think just thinking about when you said that, I immediately thought of like, you know what? I feel like Tom Cruise has kind of shifted to the point now where he just wants to be the consummate entertainer in terms of just being, um, the old school movie star who just makes movies that he knows the audience are like, everyone is going to love. Like there was a moment when he was making movies that he was trying, he was chasing the award. He was trying to win an Oscar. And then at a certain point, he just was like, I know what I'm just going to make movies that I really want to make and that I know the audience are going to love. And he just has that ability to make movies that people, and then, you know, just the way he puts himself into them Mm. and, you know, wholesale and everyone knows that about him Mm. to the point where he's created this brand for himself that if he's in the movie, everyone knows it's going to be a wild ride. You're going to have fun. And then on top of that, you take a, a character, a movie like Top Gun, which, was so formidable for so many people just in terms of it was my favorite movie growing up. It's one of the movies I actually remember seeing in the theater mm-hmm. and it was very similar to you is when I was like, yeah. I want to do that for a living. <laughs> I want to make that kind of stuff for a living. So, you know, uh, I totally, under, I, I get that. And that's, a, I think that's a very smart way to think about it. And I think you're right. Um, there is an opportunity to sort of, shift gears a little bit and sort of really try to tell stories in a smart way and not throw huge money at, you know, these movies that just may not necessarily have an audience anymore, or, you know, try an original story, but just always go into with the idea of just entertaining the audience rather than the points you made, which I thought was really smart rather than like getting the people to like, uh, I think the way you described it was like, you know, understand the characters or, you know, really to dive into the characters, which, you know, it's, that's not necessary. You don't need to go into that level of detail. Like you said, just make it feel like a human experience and everyone can relate. And I think that, that, that sort of nails it on the head in terms of what the success of. So I don't always want to be the pessimist about the biz, but you know, uh, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that there are going to be some lessons learned here. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think what we're seeing now is a continuation of sort of the shifting of sort of the leadership in, in Hollywood in general. And obviously this past week, we had the announcement that Toby Emmerich, the longtime head, well, not so long, but survived quite a few bake-offs over there at Warner Brothers, um, is now stepping down. And Mike DeLuca, also of New Line, um, and Pam Abdi uh, will be taking over as sort of the heads of just Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're siloing things now. It's going to be Warner Brothers, New Line, Family, Warner Brothers Family, and then I think DC. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to hire, supposedly hire someone to oversee Family. And then I'm assuming that means Walter Hamada will most likely be departing. And then they'll put somebody new to run DC. But who knows at this point? But um, it's interesting because... Um, you know, Mike DeLuca obviously has a storied history at New Line. I worked at New Line for almost three or four years. 
And stories about him and his tenure at, at, at New Line were legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he obviously made a lot of great movies when he was there, discovered a lot of great directors. Um, you know, his, his, their tenure at MGM, you know, they made some good movies, like Rich Peach being one of them, but, you know, they spent a lot of money. <laughs> and I'm not sure that, that that movie recovered its budget. So I'm wondering, do you think that they'll bring a sentiment to the one because Warner Brothers obviously has struggled over the last couple of years and they've had some hits, but their reputation was dinged with Project Popcorn dumping all that the slate on HBO Max. Do you think that DeLuca and Abdi will bring sort of the regen, the sort of revitalization that Warner Brothers needs? Or is it still going to be, you know, because they, they've made a lot of smaller movies. They haven't done the big blockbusters and DeLuca, you know, he doesn't have a lot of that experience. He's a little a couple films that have been bigger blockbusters, but not many. Um, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of whether or not that means a real sea change in terms of where Warner Brothers is headed, especially given what Zaslav really wants to start to see out of that division. Look, I mean, I think they have the opportunity to do so. Um, so anyone who's presented with the opportunity, uh, I think, you know, has the opportunity. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, opposite of you. I'm actually like super optimistic. Right. And I come in and see it all as, um, for them to come in and just take a big picture view, take a step back. Here's where we're at. Mm-hmm. This is what's working. This is what's not working. Uh, you know, having a leader like Zaslav actually, I think is a good thing because he seems to have, um, a blueprint of the next mm-hmm. 10 years, at least yeah. where he wants to go. So that's helpful because mm-hmm. when you don't have that, that's where, and they didn't have that. That didn't exist. No, they really didn't. Right? That's a good so point. That's a big yeah. part of like, now we kind of know where they need to go, what they need to do, what needs to happen. So it becomes a lot easier to be able to pick and choose uh, what projects you're going to make, which ones uh, get the big budget, which ones don't get the big budget, et mm-hmm. cetera, et cetera. Right? So I think that they have the opportunity to do so. And I think Warner Brothers is this, you know, I mean, they have a massive library, um, legacy library, right? They have they have so much to tap into and so much opportunity to um, really explore. So I I have faith in them and I think they're going to come in there and, and kill it. I hope they do. And I, I'm rooting for them. That would be good for moviegoers and the business. Um, so mm-hmm. I, you know, look, they have the opportunity to do it. I think they can. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I would, I think your point about Zaslav actually seems to have a plan and a blueprint of where he wants to go. Obviously he's under a lot of, a lot of pressure coming from sort of investors and his board because he has $55 billion worth of debt to offload from the merger itself. So obviously, you know, he's got to be very smart about spend and he's been very clear that we're, you know, they're not going to dump a ton of money at content trying to chase it, you know, um, you know, the unicorn as far as, you know, winning the streaming races go. Um, you know, they've cut back on at Turner and TNT. They're not going to be making originals anymore. You know, HBO Max movies are going away. They're not going to be just making movies for HBO Max. It's all going to be theatrical, which, as you said, is really great for moviegoers. And I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, again, that this will hopefully lead in that direction. My only concern is that I, I feel like Zaslav might be biting off a little bit more than he can chew because the, all three of those division heads are going to report to him. And there's nobody sort of in between, which 
you know, for someone like Zaslav who oversees such a massive empire, like Warner Brothers Discovery is huge. It's a massive company now. You know, Discovery is no no spring. It's not a tiny company at all. Right. Um, and to sort of oversee all those pieces as well and sort of the day-to-day. And, you know, I don't know what the, the ins and outs of Greenlight Authority are, whether or not Zaslav has the final say or whether or not, you know, DeLuca and Abdi will just say, we want to make this movie and here's the budget we want to make it at. And then Zazov says, go, or they, there's a certain break point where, okay, anything under hundred million you guys can make, but everything over that, you have to come to me for approval. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that looks like. And that's obviously going to be a big question. Um, and there's also rumblings that Alan Horn, you know, the stable godfather of the industry who basically built Disney into the behemoth that it is now, along with Bob Iger, <laughs> And also built Warner Brothers and Castle Rock, probably has the most storied career of any current living executive, I would say, um, is also sort of in the background. So there's a possibility he might consult. But do you think that's going to be a challenge? I would argue I think it it is going to be a challenge for one person to oversee those three divisions and still make sure everything, all the trains run on time on top of everything else that he has to do. I think, look, yeah, it's a a huge undertaking. Um, And yes, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, However, I think he has to do it in order to suss out where his needs are, right? So Mm -hmm. I think he's going to have to, um, when you're at that point that he's at right now, when when you talk about the debt that you, (laughs) that they're facing, um, Mm -hmm. you got to get your hands dirty and you got to get in there and you got to really know, like, in order for him to know, he has to kind of remove some of those layers first to say, mm. okay, this is what I need and this is what I don't need. He has to get in there himself, I think, to really realize, and he is, it's seemingly, like, it seems that way. It seems like he's really right. trying to figure that out. And so once he figures out what those needs are, then yeah, I think he'll bring in people and appoint people in the in the certain roles that they have to be in. Um, I think all of this is just time's going to have to tell and he's going to he's going to have to get his hands a little bit dirtier and he's going to have to get in deeper than someone at his level would usually get um, just for him to be able to know um, what his needs are going to be. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that seems to me to be where the biggest challenge for him is going to be. I, I think he has sort of figured out a lay of the land. And, you know, obviously when DeLuca and Abdi left Amazon, there was an opportunity and Zaslav jumped at it. Uh, Luca has phenomenal filmmaker relationships. Um, he's very well liked, um, which obviously goes a long way in a town that's built on relationships. <laughs> and so I think that's going to definitely assist him in terms of um, Zaslav in particular, in terms of you know really being able to right. restore Warner Brothers' somewhat tarnished um, brand post-Project Popcorn. Um, and it, it'll, it will be interesting to see if anyone else steps in. I mean, I know that Emma Watts to, supposedly interviewed for that job, um, and but she wanted more Greenlight Authority than Zaslav was willing to give. So I think maybe that was that may or may not have been the sticking point. But um, either way, you know, it's it, it'll be interesting to see if anyone steps into that role. I think Zaslav will probably take some time to see if he can handle all of it. I mean, he, the guy's never made movies. Um, and Hollywood is littered with names of people who showed up thinking that I have the, the purse. It can't be that hard as long as I know how to manage a budget and, you know, profit and loss. It should be easy. But 
so much of it is relationships and there's a lot of egos going on and a lot of it's gut, gut instinct. And, you know, Zazlov, I think because of where he comes from, and I I think we talked a little bit about this when we um, compared Zazlov to Kareem Daniel, uh, Disney, and Zazlov did a lot of the hard work of like meeting with as many people as he could, getting under, you know, uh, you know, building those relationships um, and understanding the industry. But still, it's ultimately when you bear it down, no matter how much data you have, it data can be an assist, but it's not going to overcome the right. gut. And I would say that would be the one concern I would have with him because his experience is really in building a crack shot operation on reality TV. Because when he bought, when he came in to run Discovery, it was an education channel, right? Everyone watched Discovery for the education and Earth shows and Shark Week and all this other kind of stuff. And then he comes in, kind of cuts a lot of that out, closes all the stores, and starts building this, you know, massive reality TV operation to the point where now you've got, you know, all these crazy wacko celebrities want, you know. Uh, reality TV stars and go from that to sort of true storytelling, like the, the, the industry that sort of built it all. And I don't really know how much those skills, you know, translate. So I think that's going to be a challenge. I think he's, you're right. He's probably got his plan. He knows what he's got to do. He's bringing in the right people, Mm -hmm. but it, 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 there does need to be an understanding of, the challenge of the industry and maybe he has that and maybe you know brian lord who supposedly hosted him throughout the industry and you know introduced him to a bunch of people can kind of help him along the way and obviously if he has alan horn in his ear also very smart because alan has a wonderful record of success in the industry mm-hmm. but i think that's going to be one of his biggest challenges is sort of coming from a world that's not in there in in a lot of ways similar to what you know, the industry does on a day to day. Yeah. You know, we talked about Kareem before, and I think there's a big difference between Kareem and Zaslav too, which is Kareem already has a system in place. It already, he already has the structure. They've already got the team. They've got Lucasfilms, which is being handled. They've got Marvel, which is being, yeah. they've got these, they're already, the wheels are turning, right? The right. Already, yeah. like, they're already running. They're off and running. There's a big difference now because there's a lot of change happening at Warner Brothers. Right. So like Kareem has the luxury of being able to um, give the reins to his team, right? He, and he trusts mm-hmm. his team and he's able to, to have that luxury to take a step back and let them do their work. And I think Zaslav doesn't have that luxury right now. And I think he's trying, right. and, and it, clearly he's, he knows that and he's, doing a good job at trying to bring in other people and he's making all these changes. Now, you know, the big thing of, it's not just cause it's, you know, storytelling, this is the tricky part of the business. And this is where it's not just him. It's going to be everybody involved because there's a movie gets green. When a movie gets greenlit, there's so many people involved that are under that wave of pushing it to finally get past that point. Right. Yeah. So, I think needs what Zaslav needs to do is take a step back in the next 10 years and he needs to design a slate, right? Of like, where do we want to go? What's going to help us get there? What are our franchise opportunities? What are the other movies? Like, again, you know, you talk about some movies don't have an audience anymore. I disagree. They still have the audience, I think. However, the audience, Mm. um, and I don't even think the audience is smaller. 
I just think the audience doesn't have as much urgency to go see it in a theater as they would to watch it at home, right? Or right. so yeah. because they're being inundated with all these other pieces of content. So that's where it becomes, okay, I'm not saying don't make these movies. If we want to make this movie that's a small budget or has an audience this is that's this big, let's let's figure out how we can do that and do it successfully, right? Yeah. So that's all. And then it becomes in each one of those projects, it's it's not just the responsibility of Zaslav or the people at um who are under him at Warner Brothers either. It's everybody in the industry who's going to be greenlighting these movies also needs mm -hmm. to take a step back and go, how do I set my movie up for success? Instead of maybe I shouldn't ask for this gigantic budget if I don't need it. Maybe I shouldn't pay this amount of money. Like we need to stand our ground. We need, if we want mm -hmm. successful business, again, you said it's show business, not show friends. Not show friends. Yep. And, and I think Zaslav gets that. I think he does. Yeah. And that's yeah. where anyone who works for him, if I were Zaslav, that would be like my number one thing of how do, why is this going to be successful? Right. And, right. Uh, and that, that's what he needs to do. That's what we like. It's about the slate. That's what gets people to the movies. That's what drives urgency. Yeah. Even if it's a small teeny yeah. movie with a small teeny audience, great. Have a small teeny budget and then budget and right. overdo it, right? It goes to what Tim always says about it's always about asking the why. And I think there's a lot of times in Hollywood that movies are made. The pro point about show business and show friends is spot on with because the Wall Street Journal profile of Zaslav opened with that quote because Zaslav was like, Why did you make Cry Macho? Are you kidding me? I mean, even though it's Clint Eastwood, and yes, he's done great movies for the for the for the studio, and yes, they make money. But at the end of the day, why did you make this movie? And they said, "Well, Clint Eastwood's done really good movies for us." Like, well, that's all right. So, exit question: Are you going to see Top Gun again? Yeah. yeah I was talking to somebody today. I think I might try to see it again because I really, I really did enjoy it. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, Robin, thanks again for filling in for Tim. Hopefully, uh, I said last week, actually, in my newsletter that he would be returning, and unfortunately, he did not. So, uh, hopefully, he'll be back on Friday. Um, but thank you again, Robin, for stepping into his, his shoes. It's always great to see you. Always great to have you. And um, I'm sure we'll have you back again. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, as always. Of course. All right. Have a good week. Thanks again, Robin. Bye. Thank you so much. <laughs>